I'm not going to ask you to say aloud the answer or even raise your hand, but I can't help but wonder how many of you can name all 12 disciples? All 12. Now, they're listed at least a few times in the New Testament. And I know there are some that are very familiar and are easy to name. Peter, James, John, oh, and Judas, and if you're listening, Thomas. Thomas was one of those, and everybody knows Thomas, especially after our Gospel reading. As a matter of fact, there are a number of people who aren't even Christian who know Thomas, and they know him by this name, Doubting Thomas. You know, every time the Bible refers to him, it's Thomas, also called Didymus. But more people today, it's Doubting Thomas, by which he's known. And the incident on Easter evening, and you know, it's important that after all was said and done, and Jesus raised from the dead, he appeared back to his disciples, ten of them. Well, remember, Judas is out of the picture, and Thomas wasn't there. And he, Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples understood the purpose of his mission. And so he told them right away, it was about the forgiveness of sins. It was for everybody, but it was for them to be told, and told by the likes of those disciples. And he did that on that day, that Sunday evening, except Thomas wasn't there. But a week later, while the disciples were still afraid, still behind locked doors, Thomas was there, and Jesus appeared again. And Jesus understood Thomas, and so he understood his doubtings, and he said, look, and touch my hands, my side, it's really me, alive in the flesh. Doubting Thomas, he encountered the risen Lord. And then, then there's a man by the name of Bill Buckner. You ever hear of Bill Buckner? If you're a baseball fan, you probably have. He was a very good baseball player back in the days when I was playing, but not in the majors. I was interested in baseball, and I, I actually followed it quite a little bit. Bill Buckner played for 22 years, uh, player par excellence. As a matter of fact, there were a number of years when he batted over 300, which means three hits out of every 10 times at bat, which is really, really quite good. He was playing along with the Boston Red Sox in the 1986 World Series. It was a tie game, bottom of the 10th inning, and it was all but done. Two outs and a full count on the batter. Batter swung, he hit the ball, certain out. Well, one would have thought, but as you look at the picture, not so much. The ball went right by Bill Buckner. As good a player as he was, he missed it, and the Red Sox went on to lose. And guess what? When people think they hear the name of Bill Buckner, that's what they think of. That's what they remember. Isn't that a kick? 
We remember Thomas, and we remember him as doubting Thomas. Not Didymus, but doubting Thomas. We see Bill Buckner, and we remember the error. In the midst of all the good things about Bill Buckner, and in the midst of the good things of the disciple Thomas, whom Jesus chose, who followed Jesus again and again, we remember that man as doubting Thomas. Not only was he known as Didymus, but the three times mentioned in the New Testament, the other two were from John chapter 11. When Lazarus had died, Jesus was there. And it was Thomas who said, Lord, we'll go with you even to death. He was ready to go, be at Jesus' side. And it was also in John chapter 14 that Thomas was under the spotlight. When it was said by Thomas, we don't know where you're going, Jesus, but wherever you go, how are we going to know the way? And Jesus said those famous words, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Even though the Bible never calls Thomas doubting Thomas, of all the scripture messages, even three, that's how we remember him. Nobody likes doubt. And in some ways, doubting Thomas is not in the great spotlight of our minds. Because when we think of doubt, we think of lack of faith. We think of weakness, something we don't want, something Thomas shouldn't have had. And the problem for us is when we begin to doubt, we feel that shame. Maybe that we have projected onto Thomas, but we know inside that we don't want to doubt. We count it as a sin. We count it as something to be avoided. And so we get down on ourselves. We're angry inside because we don't believe like we feel we should or even like we want to. About the resurrection of Jesus, perhaps. Did it really happen? I can't help but wonder. Or there's certainly a lot of other things in life that we wonder. And it's not so good like James wrote. We don't want to be double-minded with doubt. But it happens. Something terrible happens in life. And what happens? We doubt that God was with us. That he's with us in the midst of that. We doubt. We wonder, does God really love us? I mean, he let that happen. Can he really love us? And, and will he do what is right? Right in his eyes and even in ours. Will he rescue me and others who need rescuing? Uh, not quite sure about it. Or when a nation goes off the rails and away from God, will he? I can't help but doubt that he'll do what he needs to do, what I believe he should do. In our doubt, it sometimes grows. It's not what we like, but often it's what happens. But hey, we're human. Because we're human, we are not perfect. No part of us, even our faith. And quite frankly, we don't like it. We may or may not be surprised when doubt comes, but we still don't like it. Doesn't matter. What matters is what we do with the doubt. 
That becomes the key issue. We can manufacture doubt or it can come upon us, but what really matters is what's next. I love what some people who've studied scripture, even famous theologians have said about doubt and faith. Maybe you've heard of the man Paul Tillich, and he said this, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. Not two different things, but they can and they do coexist, doubt and faith. Or Frederick Buechner, I love the man, know something of him, but this quote stands out. He wrote, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. I love it. The ants in the pants of faith. That's doubt. You get it? It is part, the doubt is part of the faith we hold and share. You could say that to some degree there is doubt in faith. Never perfect. Faith is never complete. It's kind of like being pregnant, (laughs) although I don't know that firsthand but somebody close to me does. But I do know from my perspective that either you are or you aren't. (laughs) Either you are pregnant a little bit or a lot or not. Either you have faith or you don't. But having faith will always have some element of doubt. Whether it shows up often or not so often. With little things, circumstance of our own or others, Little or small, it's there. But the question comes back, what are you going to do? What can we do? What should we do when doubt begins to grip us? Well, we've got a part in that. There is a role for us. And when I think of our role, I think of another man by the name of Lee Strobel. Don't know if you've heard of him or not. But he was investigative newspaper reporter in the Chicago area a number of years ago. His job was to look into crime, to investigate it, to make sure we got it straight. Who's guilty, who's not. He was an atheist. No room for God in his heart or in his mind. His wife didn't believe either, but she came to faith. And slowly but surely, her faith began to rub toward him. And he was beginning to come to faith, but he still had big doubts. So you know what he did? He put him to work. He used his investigative skills, and he found people throughout the world, experts in their field of the Bible and of Jesus, and he set out here, there, all kinds of places in the world, and he expressed to them questions and his doubts And guess what happened? Little by little, and then a lot, he moved from the position of atheist, no God, to the position of faith in God through Jesus Christ. And he has since done great things in the church. One of his early books was The Case for Christ, a very compelling book that talks about his journey from atheism to belief. He also wrote a book, The Case for Faith. And and books and books afterwards, he became a very well-known preacher at 
the uh, church in Chicago, and also in California, Saddleback Church. And he became also a professor in the university, speaking and preaching in the, uh, apologetics about Jesus, who he was, what he did. And he's still an apologist online and speaking on many occasions. Our role may not be as exaggerated and as great as Lee Strobel's, but we can remember, we can do what he did, and that is put our faith out there and work with it. Just like Thomas didn't hide his doubt, but he laid it out before Jesus and his disciples. And that's where God kicks in, because he too has a role. It's simple and it is complex. The simple part of God's role is he meets us with our doubts. He doesn't push us away. He doesn't just chide us and say, stop it. He helps us deal with those doubts because he cares. He loves his children. He loves and wants to be close. He accompanies people like you and me with our doubts, through our doubts. And he begins to treat us again and again about them. The complex part, however, is just how he does it and when he does it and how long he lets this or that take place. That's the complex part that, that God only knows and that sometimes we get impatient with in our doubtings. And while we rejoice when our doubts are almost instantly taken away, it's hard sometimes embracing God's role in this. The faith part of us, hanging on, believing that he will indeed help. And I love this part of this incident with Thomas. Jesus didn't chide Thomas. Jesus didn't condemn Thomas. The scriptures don't hide this fact of Thomas's doubt. And as a matter of fact, I'm glad that the Bible presented that incident or two. People don't rise from death. I understand why, why Thomas doubted, don't you? People just don't do that. But I'm glad he did doubt because Jesus made it absolutely clear to him. And by doing so to us all, he made it clear that he was risen from the dead. Because he did, Jesus did what only Jesus can do. And this is how we can now view our doubts. Understandable, but treated by God in love. And, by the way, he puts us in community, right? As a community, we're gathered, even this morning. And we get a chance to share with each other all kinds of things. And God would have us even share our doubts one with another. And maybe you're not ready to receive the doubts of somebody, and that's fine but maybe you are. And maybe you can be a welcoming person to those who do struggle with doubts, whether it has to do with Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, or with some other aspect of life and one's person and their struggles in this life. To be able to listen or to be listened to, to understand or to be understood, to pray together, to hang in together, 
as we worship together, we have that chance in community to be one-on-one -on -one with each other and to help one another. And you know, the pastor is one such person you can count on and you can meet and speak about such things with. Anybody in our ministry team, our leadership, absolutely. We welcome that. We'll help in the struggle. Good things, bad things. You know, there's a lot of bad words. And when you think of bad words, you think of four-letter words. I don't want to repeat any of those. But there are also some bad four-letter words that we can speak out loud, like S-N-O-W. <laughs> we don't want to talk about snow now, and a lot of times in the winter we don't want to talk about it. There's some five-letter words, too, that are not so good. T-A-X-E-S. Oh, my. Taxes. Don't want to think about it. But also D-O-U-B-T. Doubt. It's one of those bad words in our common way of thinking. But there's a good five-letter word, and that is F-A-I-T-H. Faith. As those exist, even side by side, the doubt, the ants in the pants of faith, got to work, and we can work too, so that ultimately, what Jesus said, we can own ourselves. Blessed are those who've not seen, but yet believe. We've not seen Jesus in the person, but in faith, as that's sharpened, as it's enriched, we do. So when you think of Thomas, Thomas Didymus, also called Didymus, but forget the doubting Thomas business. How about remembering what really his legacy can be, really is, and that is believing Thomas and remember him as a good example of what we can be more and more joined to Christ in faith. Thomas was a great missionary after this point, even to India, a man of strong faith. And so may we be in Jesus. Amen.